Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Hey, so we're, we're jumping into something brand new. Um, we're going to go through a book of the Bible together. We've done that a couple of times. We've gone through the book of James. We've gone through different books. Is this, this, this next coming weeks, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. And you know, before we even jump into this, how many, I know there's, there's some people in the room that grew up in other states other than California, like the Midwest. I know someone uh, from Missouri, right? We're the Missouri people in the house. There's a couple. <laughs> You're like, oh, maybe me, right? Well, I, I remember when I graduated high school, I took a journey and I went out to Springfield, Missouri, okay? Not California. And it was so different and the culture was different and the the weather was different, and the people were different. And I remember distinctively how I dressed was way different than how people in Missouri dressed. The language, the culture, how it felt, right? And you know what's crazy is we live on on the West Coast, right? It's the best coast. We live in California, and and oftentimes when when you hone into California, specifically Southern California, we find what? Los Angeles. And, and even if I told someone from Missouri that I was from California, they immediately thought I was from L.A. I'm like, yeah, I'm from L.A. Not really, but yeah. But I realized that, that the epicenter of culture and creativity, I would argue, comes from Hollywood, right? That there's just so much new culture, things that are arising, creativity, movies, actors, stars, right, come from this epicenter of Hollywood, and then it spreads all throughout the United States. But I also realize that the other coast, the East Coast, not the best coast, but the East Coast, would infiltrate as well the culture. They're having a lot of fun in kids' room. Come on, we got to get in kids' room. And I realized that Five, when I went to Springfield, Missouri, the culture of dress was five years behind from California. And I was like blown away by a city or cities that could, could really be so influenced that it changes the whole sphere of things. It changes cities, it changes countries, it changes people just because of the culture. Well, the reason I bring that up is because we're going to dive into the book of Ephesus. And I'm a Bible student by heart, and I'm just believing this in faith. If you know me, if you've been around me, my, my wife could tell you us all the time, I want to start a Bible college so bad. And I'm just waiting, and I'm like, okay, God, not the right time. we got to do some other stuff, not the right time. But I'm a Bible student at heart. I love this stuff. I breathe this stuff. And I want to, I'm, I'm just declaring by faith, within the next couple of years, we're going to have a Bible college here at Coin Church. Yeah, and, and I just, I want people affordable. I want, it doesn't matter if you want a degree. I just want you, if you want to learn the deep, intrinsic nature of the scriptures, man, we're going to offer that. But today, since we don't have Bible college, we're going to have Bible college at church. We're going we're gonna to dive into the scriptures, and I promise you that it's, it's so interesting, and it's so beautiful, and it's so majestic, and so I want to just give you, I want to geek out for a Sunday. Is that okay? I'm going to put my geek out lens on. <laughs> But I want to talk to you about this, this city, Ephesus, because it was much like Los Angeles. Ephesus was modern-day uh, Western Turkey, biblical time, Western Asia Minor. So if you were to look at a map at the biblical times, the only world we knew was the East world, right? 
And so when you look at the top of the map, the north west, there was a small little port. There was a bunch of water off to the port of the west coast up in, in that region, and there was a city on the port called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, if you could think of like Long Beach or Los Angeles, there was so much culture coming. There was so many people. There was a lot of different languages. There was different gods that they were worshiping and serving. And with that came a whole mixture of people and places, but also problems. So Paul goes, it's his third missionary trip. He took three trips, okay? Paul the apostle wrote the majority of the New Testament. And what Paul does is his heart and his home was in Jerusalem. So he would go out on a voyage. They didn't have cars back then. They had donkeys and horses and feet. It would take months, years to go on a missionary trip, and Paul would come back, and his heart was in Jerusalem. He'd come back to Jerusalem. They would send him back out again. By the third missionary trip, he takes with him a, a, a couple named, real cool names, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, you're like, who is Priscilla and Aquila? Well, this all comes from the book of Acts, too, because Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke was like a historian. He wanted the dates and the times and the emperor and the people and the locations to be precise. So we understand this as scholars, that Paul goes on this missionary trip, and he takes with him a Priscilla and Aquila, but then there's this, this I don't know if he was young, we'll say young, this young guy that was preaching, and he was provocative, and he sounded good, and he was moving the crowds, and his name was Apollos. And Apollos believed in Jesus, but he didn't know the power of Jesus. And so Priscilla and Aquila are investigating, and they share this with Paul, and they bring Apollos into kind of their circle, and they begin to build this church in Ephesus with all of the cultural issues and problems going on around them. Here's one example of how crazy Ephesus was. Well, in this time, you guys know who Alexander the Great was, right? Alexander the Great had a great vision, and he wanted to infiltrate all of the area of the Eastern world, and he wanted to become Greek culture, which is called for the Bible students, Hellenization. It was this, this Hellenized culture that they would take the Greek, it didn't matter where you were at, and they would take people there, and they would drop it into the location, and they wanted the culture, they wanted the language, they wanted the arts, they wanted every person to understand that we are under the Greek control, and we're going we're gonna to Hellenize everything. And so Alexander the Great was way past being dead at this point, but his vision was still going on. Even in the time of Jesus, Hellenization was a thing in Jerusalem. But what the Greeks loved so much was the body. They idolized the body. They thought the body was perfect. You see those like sculptures and the guys like, oh, that's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But you know, they're like standing and they're like sculpted, right? And they looked beautiful and amazing. And you can go to Rome and you can go to Athens and you can see this work of art. But they idolized the body. They, they believed that the body should be perfect. Sounds like a lot like, our times, right? No, it does it. It sounds a lot like our times where this, this perfect, I got to be perfect. I got to look perfect. I got to sound perfect. I got to be perfect. They believed in perfection so much in Ephesus that there was a high mountain. And whenever a child was born of a deformity, they would take the child and they would drop it off the hill, the cliff, to let animals and, and the wild take care of the child because the child wasn't perfect. So if you were born without a hand or if you were born with a less finger, if you were born just with a deformity, you were, you were nothing to the Greek culture. You were nothing to Athens. You were nothing 
to this era. And so perfection was on a whole nother level. So you can't tell me that this book that was written 2,000 plus years ago means anything. It means a lot to this culture. Paul has something to say to us, and he writes to us, notice this, Paul didn't pen this, I'm going to write this to Coin Church in 2022 on February. No, he had in mind the people of Ephesus. He saw their faces, he saw the hill where they dropped the babies, he saw all of the cultures, he saw the Greek goddesses and how they would worship them in orgies, and there was just this, this, this overemphasis of the body. He saw all of these things and he writes this, but the power of God and the word of God is so beautiful that it can transcend to us and we can take from it and we can learn from it, right? That, this is how Ephesus was. It was a coastal city. It was on the port. Wealth, fame, culture, different people, different religion. So we're going to read this together, all right? We're going to Bible school. You guys ready? We're gonna, I promise this, will, this is going to mean something powerful to you. This book, it, it literally has changed my life. Just to give you a synopsis, Paul many times start his books like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and he'll say, grace and peace be to you. So we know, scholars know, okay, that's kind of how Paul did his thing. He would start out and literally say, I am Paul and I'm writing to you. Paul would also he would block or he would have sections in his book. So Romans is very similar. So like Ephesus, we're going to read Ephesus 1, 2, and 3, and then he kind of puts it in half to 4, 5, and 6. Whenever you see the language, therefore, right, you got to wonder why it's therefore. So what Paul does is he's saying, you are literally bought with a, a price, and I want you to know that there's some groundwork that we need to establish here that I want to teach you and express to you, people of Ephesus, people of Coin Church, that the foundation is so essential and it's so important. If you don't have the right groundwork, if you don't have the right cornerstone, if you're not stable in your ways, then you're just going to be to and fro with the wind, like the people of Ephesus or like the people of L.A. So Paul lays the groundwork in the first couple chapters, and then he says, therefore... Since you were bought with a price, since you were sons and daughters of God, since you were changed, you're no longer the old self but the new self, you ought to walk in a different way. You ought to live in a different manner. You ought to think differently, process differently, talk differently. The way you talk shouldn't be the same way the, the Los Angeles people talk. It should be filled with hope and wonder and beauty and optimistic perspective, knowing that the God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords has made me a son, rightful heir to his throne and to his kingdom. So we're going to read this. You guys ready? Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him. Watch how many times it says in him or in Christ. Before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, the one he loves. In him, we have redemption 
through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he, God, Jesus, made known to us the mystery. This is a mystery, isn't it? The, 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 the thoughts of God, the movement of God, the power of God, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, almost done. In him we were chosen. We were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, when you had faith, you were marked. There's a marking that happened in him with a seal. And watch the seal. Where's the seal coming from? The promise of what? The Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We got to go to school, don't we? Because this is crazy. I, what is he talking about? This sounds, this sounds different. This doesn't make sense to the common eye. So I want to I wanna express to you, I want to teach you just really simplistically the power of what Paul's trying to do as he sets the ground. So the title of this message today is groundwork. Ephesians chapter 1, groundwork. And the sub point, if I had one, would be Paul's laying the foundation. And my question to you before we even get started, what, what's your foundation? Do you, do you have a foundation? I'll never forget a professor was crying on his knees and he was, he was pleading to the class and we were going over something similar like this and he said, please, please, if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to teach your people, the people, you need to teach yourself when all hell breaks loose, where do you go? When the walls seem to crumble around you, when the storm seems to come, when the darkness seems to invade your peripheral, what do you do? Where do you go when you hit rock bottom? Well, I don't know about you, but my life is built on the cornerstone of Jesus. So when I fall, he's right there. And some of us need to, to, to realize that, man, our, our sand, Jesus said, there's some that will build their life on shaky sand. So when the storm come and the rain come and the water builds up, what happens to your house? What happens to your soul? What happens in your family when it just gets crazy? And does it not get crazy? Come on, let's be real. We're in church. It can get crazy. Right, Kelly? It can get crazy. And it's like, man, what, where do I go? And I want to express to you, I want, I want to compel you with veins popping up in my neck, that the, the cornerstone of your life cannot be the culture. It can't, cannot be the way they're teaching you in school. It cannot be the wisdom of the world. It must be the wisdom of God. It must be a foundation that is true, that has lasted all throughout time and eternity. I don't know about you, but I don't want to put my hope in a government. I don't want to put my hope in a politician. I don't want to put my hope in what they say or what she says or what that said on Instagram and then I'm running to and fro because I have no solid foundation because it's sandy and it's not stable. Paul says, I need to lay the groundwork 
Because when all hell breaks loose, and unfortunately at times it will, Jesus said, when you, there's going to be trouble, when it does, where do you go and what do you do? Well, let's lay the groundwork of theology first. In him. So my first thought or point is this. He chose you. He chose you. It says, praise to the, the God and the Father of our Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, for he chose us in him before, before creation. Wrap your head around that. That tells me that before you were even thought of in your mother or your father's womb, or, or mine and then your mother's womb, right? Before you were even thought of, conceived, processed, God already thought of you. That tells me before creation, you're telling me that God created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the sky, the birds and the trees, and before all of that, he thought of you? Yes, that's what Paul's saying. It's not an individualistic message, but it sure is individual. He thought of you, Thomas. He thought of you, Sarah. He thought of you, Sam and Haley and Jenny. He thought of you before you were even thought of before anybody else. And then he chose you. So you ought to walk around saying, I'm chosen by God. I don't know about you, but wherever I go, whatever I do, whenever things happen in my I'll just, I'm chosen by God. I'm a son of God. He chose you before the creation of the world. He knew you. It's like when you find someone and it's love at first sight. Come on, have you ever felt that? It's like, oh, it's love at first sight. She looks so pretty. I remember seeing Kelly. I was in seventh grade. I was like, man, her eyes are so pretty. Who's that girl? It was like love at first sight. <laughs> and then I got to know her, and, and, then, and then we built relationship. And when I went off to Bible school, and I got serious with my life. And I came back, and I said, Kel, I choose you. Do you choose me? And we stood there, and my pastor said, when, when she walks down the aisle, she is the one God has chose for you all the days of your life. Because I always be like, who's the one, God? Like, where is she? Australia? Sydney? Is she, like, where, where, God, where, do you, do you have those questions? You gotta, if you're single, you better be praying that. Where, where, where are they? <laughs> and so, as I was praying, as, as I was processing, as I grew up with Kel, I said, you know what? You know what, girl, I choose you. Do you choose me? And she came down the aisle, and we said our adieus, and we said, we choose each other. Through hell or high water, in richness and poor. When it gets really difficult, I choose you, Kelly, and I know you choose me because it gets real difficult on my end. You still choose me. And when the babies come and when, when the finances come, praise God, when it does, and when the career comes and when the promotions come, and even when it gets rocky, I still choose you. And that's just a metaphorical language to say, wrap your head around God, the creator of the universe, he chose you. But you didn't choose him first. He already knew you. He already has a plan. And that's why I don't, it's not rhetoric when I say, do you know God has a plan and a purpose for your life? I'm not just saying that as Christianese, as Christian language. No, it's a real thing. God knew you before you were even thought of, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And Paul's saying this is the groundwork. This is the groundwork. It's important. The next it says, this is, this is a historical, literal language here. There's a literal analysis for all the Bible students that we got to jump into. It says, in love, he predestined us for, it says, adoption to sonship. Now, we're in Ephesus, okay? We're not in California. We're not in Chino or Chino Hills. We're in Ephesus. And Ephesus, we know that slavery was a big deal. It was a big issue. There was slavery everywhere you went. And you're in a rich city on a port. 
Okay, so slaves get out of the, the, the ship and they're in chains and they're right on the port. Why is Paul using language like you're, you're a son adopted? Well, because in Ephesus, he walked, he walked the city. He saw, he felt the wind. He could hear the talks. He could see what was going on. And he said, wait a second, I need you to know something, Ephesians. If you believe in Christ, you are set free. You have sanctification within you. There is a move of God over your life, and now you're bought with a price because in Ephesus, there would be slaves, and if someone had enough money, they could go and buy that person. And when they bought them under Roman rule, it was the same as having a son that was born of a wife. They were yours. He was your son. You were his father. He was your father. And that was a big deal because they were, they were in the system for a long time. Something happened to their mom and dad. Maybe war took over. And maybe they, they, they didn't have a mom or fa- of dad. And so when they came into the port of Ephesus, they were waiting and they were longing and they were searching. And then a man would say or a woman would say, I'm going to buy that one right there. And Paul is saying, God says, I choose you as a son and as a daughter through Christ in accordance with pleasure and will. And then it says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which has been freely given to us in ones he loved. The reason why this is so important is because I want to I wanna like preference it. You were adopted into his family. Okay? You need to know that. Well, what do you mean my family? Well, there's, there's the world. I'm going to say there's the world's family. Not your individual family. There's the world's family. Okay? And then there's the kingdom's family. Two different things, two different outcomes. The world's family, scripture says, the wages of sin is death. The world right now looks like chaos, doesn't it? The world right now is in disarray. The world right now doesn't even know what up from down is. The world right now, I would argue, is saying good is evil and evil is good. They're confused. We're confused. That's the world's family. And when you're in that family too long, you start getting accustomed to the things of the family. You start acting like the mother and the father of the family. You start talking like the people of the family. And what Paul is telling us is that when, when when you were a slave or when you were in bondage, you were bought by Jesus because he chose you. And he says, you are no longer a part of this world. You're my son and you're my daughter. And if you're my son and you're my daughter, we got to rewire some things in your brain, baby, because <laughs> it's all funky in there. We got we to gotta reshape some concepts of love and of forgiveness and of the future and of hope and of faith, because you keep thinking of negativity and you keep thinking of darkness and you keep thinking of weakness and you keep thinking you can't do anything. And God says, what are you talking about? You're a son. You're in my kingdom. Stop living in the world's family and get into my family. Adopted as a son or as a daughter, you are an heir to the kingdom. You are a daughter of the king and you are a son of God. That should encourage you this morning. Did you know that? Did you know you're a son of God? That's what Paul's telling us is you're a daughter of God. And then it says this. He redeemed you, verse 11. He made us known to us a mystery 
In him, sorry, that, that's not, in, sorry, verse seven. In him we have redemption. Now this one goes even deeper from adoption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now what redemption is, is he wiped your past clean. So in other words, when you were on the street in Ephesus, and someone said, I want to buy that, he, I want to adopt him in my, as, as a son in my family. What he's also saying is you're redeemed. That was the language of the time. That's why we need to know the literary analysis of the Bible. We like the word redeemed. It sounds good, but it's really biblical, isn't it? But it actually comes from the Romans' language. To be redeemed in the Roman Empire was to be wiped clean of your debt. Does that make sense? Man, this is good. This will preach. So when you're redeemed of your debt, you don't have anything to pay. You don't own anybody anything. You are now under the family or the father of the person that adopted you into their home. So you don't have to worry about your debt anymore. That happened and this happened and you owed a certain amount. The person who bought you paid that debt. And now you're redeemed in Ephesus. And now you get to walk around and now you bear the last name of the, the man who bought you. You're free, and you're free indeed. You're not only free, but you're redeemed. Why is that important to us? Paul uses this language, this powerful language. When you become adopted in the Roman times, you were just as much a son as a blood-born son, so much so that the father would pay any debt. The language used is redeemed, right? So the father treated you just the same. And now that you're redeemed, you are a son of his. You are a daughter of his. He saved you. You were chosen. This is it right here. I want to give it to you in a better language. Can I give it to you in a better language? I know this is all theological and it can go over our heads at times. But there's three points that I'm making if you're paying attention. The first, he chose you. Okay? If you're writing notes. The second, he adopted you. And the third, Paul says he redeemed you. Let me give it in in, in, in understanding terms here in Southern California. He saved you. He saved you. Have you ever heard that language? He saved you. Saved me from what? From a lot of things. But let's just be honest. He saved you from hell. The scripture says that those that believe with their, they, they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. Romans says you are saved. And the saving is a covering for eternity. So you don't have to worry what tomorrow looks like. You're saved. God sets you apart because he chose you. So he chose you and he saved you. And then he sanctified you. In other words, he adopted you as his own. He wiped you clean of any debt. Well, you don't understand, Pastor Sam. I got a lot of stuff in my past and I've done a lot of things and there's just stuff that's, you know, and it's hard and I keep thinking of the past. Yeah, we got to go to the past sometimes and look at it for what it was so that you could move towards in the future. You can't stop thinking the same way of the past, of the old family. You have to rewire your brain. And by the way, I'm sorry to say, I'll just be real, that takes time. That, 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 there's a process involved with that. That's why Romans says you must renew your mind. And God's got to go in there and create new pathways in your brain so that you can understand how he works and how he functions. So he sanctifies you and he adopts you as his own. And then here's my favorite one. He sets you free. He redeems you. And this is what Paul really wants to hit on in his letter of, of, to the Ephesians. He's writing from Rome, by the way, at this point. He goes on his third missionary trip. 
He drops off Priscilla and Aquila. He goes back to Jerusalem. When he gets back to Jerusalem, they can't stand Paul in the Roman Empire. He shakes, he shakes the whole world because he starts saying, stop, stop confessing that the emperor is king. Jesus Christ is king. He's coming against the government. Let that preach for a second. He's coming against what they're saying, and he says, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. Emperor Nero is not your king. Emperor Claudius is not your king. Jesus is your king. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, he is your king, you will be saved. And that shook and rattled and, 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 and just built a ripple effect over the Roman. Who is this Paul saying this stuff? We ought to have his head. And so Paul goes to, back to Jerusalem because he loves Jerusalem, and they get him. The Roman centurions get him, and they take him all the way to Rome. And he writes this letter in a prison cell. Can you believe that? How's your life going right now? <laughs> Are you writing a letter in your prison cell? Are you in a prison cell right now? How difficult is your life right now? Paul is literally in a prison cell, in home and can't, like he's, 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 he cannot get away. He's home arrested. And yet he still has the power within him by the spirit of God to write to encourage the people of God. And I love that because it tells me something about his brain. It doesn't matter what storm he's in. He knows the foundation. He's got the cornerstone. All hell has broke. He's about to get his head chopped off by the Romans. And he could care less because he says, if I die... It's even better. If I live, I'll still be here. It's even better. It don't matter. You can kill me or I can stay alive. If I stay alive, I'm going to keep proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And so for us in Chino and Chino Hills and Pomona and Diamond Bar and Corona, wherever you find yourself, this is what I want to hit on right now. For, and the worship, you guys can come on up. This is my main point today. We, we love that we're chosen, right? Man, I'm chosen. She chose me. I chose him, right? We love the romantic marriage and the dating and the relationship. We love that stuff. You were chosen. God says, I chose you. We love that. feels good, doesn't it? We even love that I'm set free, that I'm adopted, I'm sanctified, that he, he takes me out of the old and he puts me in the, the new. But then it says he set you free. He redeemed you. And many of us, Many of us, we're living saved and we're living sanctified, but we're not living set free. We're not. Let's just be honest. Why aren't you living set free, church? Why is there still so much stuff going on within you? Why can't we get through the wall? Because some of us are going around the wall, and I don't know what the wall is for you. It could be a bad diagnosis. It could be someone who passed away in your life. It could be something that happened to you when you were a child and you keep going around the wall and God says, I need you to go through it. Psychologists say it and I'm like, man, I came from the Bible. Paul says, no, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta be set free. You gotta renew some things. You can't, you can't run around this. You gotta go right through it. So where are you right now? That, and and what, what is the wall in front of you? That keeps setting you back in your faith or your relationships or your future. And when you go to the job interview and you're all excited and you're all pumped up and you're like, ah, oh, I don't think I got it. It's just, I don't know, you know, that's tough. No, you got to walk in saying, I'm a son of God. 
I know who I am. I got the confidence of God in me. I was bought with the price. I'm not the old me. I'm the new me. And you step into any room with confidence and assurance and authority. That does not come from you. It comes from God. So let me go. Can I go deeper? I'm going to go deeper. We're almost done. It says this. In Christ, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, your salvation. When you believed. Say believed. Believed. And you were what? You were marked. There's a marking. You were marked in him with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise in his glory. In other words, you're walking around not set free because you haven't received the mark and the seal of the Spirit of God. When you have the Spirit of God, no spirit can come against you. When you have the, the assurance of God, nobody can speak against you. You got the power of God. Paul says the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, that's a big deal, is in you. I don't know. I mean, that's good news. That's good news in Southern California. That's good news on the West Coast. That's good news for the believers in the church because I'm gonna go every single day. I'm gonna take this to my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I'm gonna be replenished and refreshed on Sunday to know I'm a son and, son, and you're a daughter of God, but you gotta be sealed. You gotta be sealed. And here's my, here's my main thought, here's my main thought. I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but I just got to be real. You can be saved. Of course, praise God. I'll see you in heaven. We'll be running around in the streets of gold. But my time isn't up yet. I got a lot of stuff to do. Don't take me, God. I'm, I'm right here. We got a lot of work to get done. You can be saved, chosen. You can be sanctified, adopted. But until you're marked with a seal, until you know whose you are, and that nothing can come against you. And I promise you, that is the power of God. And so I can open up this Bible, which I do on a regular basis, and I can conceive the things that he's done in my life. I can walk in every situation in my life, and stories come up of Moses and Aaron and Elijah and Elisha and Joseph and Joshua and men and women of God come in my brain, and God speaks to me all the time. But what good is it if I don't have the power of God within me? And so God says, Paul says, I need you to get this. Apollos, I need you to get this. You're walking around in confidence and authority, but you don't even know what you got. You have a seal that must come from the Spirit of God. That's what changed everything in the, in the new world, in the new move of God. That's what changed everything. The book of Acts changed everything everything because it was acts of his people of you and me and the only difference the only difference between someone that says I love the word and I read the word and I got the word and I'll, I'll tell you the word yeah that's great but do you have a seal do you have an encounter with the living God do you know that no devil can come against you do you actually believe what's in this book because I'm not afraid, I'm not worried. You won't find me shaking at night. I have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with me. I am sealed, I am set free, I am chosen, I am sanctified. And I don't care if this offends anyone, but I got the Holy Spirit. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. Do you, do you have a seal, do you have an encounter? <laughs> do you have an encounter with the living God? Man, it comes in all shapes and sizes. 
moments, I say that a lot, right, moments, moments where he's just encountered me, where I was like, man, there is no way you can tell me God ain't real. And yet I can still have these things and I, I still won't live in my set free nature. That's why Paul says, okay, let me lay the groundwork and now you gotta, you gotta live different, walk different, talk different, act different. You live in Ephesus in Los Angeles, great. But you can't be like them or, 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 or those that live in the world. We gotta be like those that live in the spirit. And so that's my, that's my decree to us as a community. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I'm believing for big things this year. You know the biggest thing I'm believing for? Is that people would come, yes, to hear the word of God, 100%, but to be encountered by the one who wrote this book. That's my prayer. That's, my, that's, my, that's the vision God's given me for this church.